It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross. Welcome to Episode 22, Season 2 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. David Alter from the Nation Network will be by to talk about the Leafs who are on an interesting run of late. They've won their last two games, but sure don't know how to play with a lead, even though they're winning. They make it interesting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. This will make it interesting also. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360, windmill good. Yes, guy. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, no worries. You can still take your shot at a big payday. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. The promo code is THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. So, under the hockey story, the Leafs have won two in a row, 5-4 in Columbus, 6-4 at home to Seattle, and boy, playing with the lead is a mystery. There are parts of both games where they look very good and parts of both games where it was a disaster, but they won both, and the thing that comes out of this is is that top line, Matthews between Marner and Bunting, is something to behold. And when you watch Austin Matthews play, you can't take your eyes off him. There's no way. He is looking constantly for open ice. We'll talk about this with David Alter from the Nation Network very shortly, but this guy is evolving into the best in the business. Now let's listen to that conversation that I had with David Alter from the Nation Network going over the Leafs' recent performances, concerns, pluses, and minuses. Uh, so let's start off with, uh, let's go back to the sample size of games going back to Saturday, February 26, 10-7, a win in Detroit. And we have six games. And if you throw out the Buffalo game, because that's that's an outlier for a lot of respects, but the other games are eerily similar. This team has shown that even when it wins, it can't play with a with a lead. I mean, it just doesn't know what to do with the lead. What do you make of this? Yeah, this is really interesting, especially the last two games in particular, where you, you try to give them the benefit of the, the doubt, and they say, okay, well, uh, if the goaltending is going to struggle, we'll play better in front of them and limit some opportunities in front, avoid tipped shots, and, and allowing the defense to come in close. Well, Uh, The last two games they've played, they've been identical in the sense that uh, they've either had a lead, given it up, 
or came from behind and tied it and gone on to win. But the defensive issues are still there. The goaltending issues haven't been cleared yet. And the top line is just outscoring all the issues. That's really what it is. And that's been the identity of this team. And uh, look, it's it, it's allowed them to get results. We always knew that the top the top six forwards were going to provide most of the offense. But um, is it enough to, to kind of go all the way here when there's some real underlying issues? That's the real concern. And over those uh, six games that you mentioned there, it doesn't look like they've alleviated that yet. No, it has a familiar look to it. The difference is 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 the top line. I mean, this is this is a dominant threesome. So let's deal with the positive here. Austin Matthews, to me, uh, then I was in the rink, so I'm back working in the rink uh, recently, watching him play. Um, this is as good as it gets. This is a guy who never really has anybody on him because he finds the open, continually finds the open ice. If you go back to the great goal scorers in this game, and you, you could watch Ovi on a nightly basis, you you want to say to yourself, why is nobody on him? Because he's peeling off to the open areas. It looks like he ends up in the same spot all the time, but but if somebody's there, he's not going to go there. And that's really what Austin Matthews does, doesn't he? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. It's one thing to put up a lot of goals, and now he's like right up there in the points race after uh, the most recent game as well. But uh, to your point, he's playing the 200-foot game. I remember in Columbus, there was that offensive zone situation uh, for Columbus. They're trying to get it out of their own zone, and Matthews fights off two guys just to kind of keep the pressure going. And that led to Marner's goal. Even though Matthews doesn't get a point on that, he is the key to why that scoring drive happens. And um, also, he's he's one of the top stars that doesn't get a lot of penalties called against him or, or draws a lot of penalties. But that's because nobody's around him, as you mentioned. So it's one of those things where it's kind of a skill in, in that regard that a guy who's so potent offensively is not near any of the defenders because they're just not really able to cover him. So... Uh, yeah, this has been quite the evolution in Austin Matthews' game. He's always been able to score. He's always been able to drive the line. There's never been a question about that. But what he's doing uh, from a, a defensive standpoint and the way he's able to strip the opposition of pucks in their own zone is really why he's getting a lot of the Hart Trophy conversation as of late. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that probably don't get a lot of attention. His takeaways are, you know, right up there, and his face-off percentage is, is really good. I mean, those are there are two key factors for him. Now, if you mix in what Bunting does on the left side, how he draws penalties, how he uh, has that, that sort of chemistry read offensively and, and agitates. I mean, even away from the puck, if you watch this guy, if you're watching Austin Matthews go to the open ice, watch Bunting when there's no puck around. He's, he's um, aggravating to play against. This is a really great combo isn't it yeah it it, it kind of it makes you scratch your head that this wasn't kind of put together earlier in the season I know Nick Ritchie was the higher paid guy so they they tried him along with Matthews and and Marner and gave a different look and it, it's kind of unfathomable to me that that someone like Bunting was on the fourth line for stretches in October and a bit of November so uh, what he's managed to do in terms of living up to the small sample size that he had last season with the Coyotes, even though he he brought the offensive flair and that World Hockey Championship, no one really knew how it was going to work out. And, and and it's been widely reported he took less money to come to his hometown team. And he's on a, a great cap-friendly $950,000 playing on a top line with two guys who are making you know, $10, $11 million. It, 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 it's quite something, but he doesn't look out of place there. And I, th- I think Sheldon Keefe uh, put it best that it's not even that – 
that uh, Michael Bunting is is playing better because of the line mates that he's got, but the line mates are also playing better on account of Michael Bunting being there. So there really has been a synergy there. There's been a lot of off-ice chemistry as well as on-ice chemistry between guys like Austin Matthews, who's from Arizona, and, and Bunting, who's spent the last six years playing in that state. So, so it, it really has been quite the unique situation and it really did alleviate the big question of what they were going to do on that top line when Zach Hyman departed for Edmonton last summer. Yeah, I, I think they've done a really nice job of, of replacing uh, parts of what Hyman brought to the table with Bunting and with other players. So uh, again, just before we leave the top line, because sooner or later, uh, once you start talking about the top line, people are going to say, well, it's it's a one-line team. No, it's not, but, but I want to give credit to that top line because for years, the Boston Bruins had one line that would, and it was supported marvelously. Don't get me wrong, but that one line could decide a playoff game, could decide a playoff series, and it did many times. And, and I'm not willing to, uh, I'm not ready to put this line in that category, but it's coming pretty close, isn't it? It is. And look, I mean, there's always going to be those questions, right? Like the, the, the Austin Matthews and the Mitch Marners have always performed well in the regular season, and they've always had, you know, great lines just playing with with each other. So, when it comes to the playoffs, can can these guys still perform at that same level when the space is maybe lesser and, and there's more of an emphasis on defense and the games are being won two one or one nothing or three two? Like that that's really what it comes down to. And so uh, you are seeing that maturation where someone like a Mitch Marner who was struggling early in the season is getting a scoring touchback and now he's a threat to score goals. So the opposition is not necessarily just going to look at someone like Marner who has the puck and not shoot. He'll, he, he can shoot it as well, provides another dynamic threat to that line. And someone like Michael Bunting can finish and deliver too while creating spaces for the other guys. And Austin Matthews is going to continue to do Austin Matthews things. So as long as all three of those things are clicking going into May, well then, yeah, that they, they really could start to take that next step. And as we all know, if the Leafs are going to have playoff success, it's going to come around to that first line performing like they've done throughout the regular season. Yeah, and, and the second line is, is finding the range. Tavares is scoring. Nylander is scoring. Robertson scored the other night, so he, he's a good fit in the minutes that he plays in that line, and, and when they're not comfortable with that, they move Kerfoot back up there. So that, that's good versatility, isn't it? Yeah, and look, it's it's an interesting thing with someone like an Alex Kerfoot who's playing on that fourth line but still managed to score a goal in that spot against Columbus the other night, uh, and then they moved him up to, to play more minutes in that situation as well. And uh, they're really just making sure that they find guys some opportunities and can use their skill sets. And they're going to need the depth, guys. That's just the way it is. Like the first line is going to be the first line. Uh, the lines below them are going to have to perform as well. And the special teams are going to be a big part of that as well. Okay, so let's go to the issue. The issue that we started out with is playing with leads. So if you go back to uh, last night's game, Wednesday, sorry, what, what day is it? Tuesday night's game against Seattle. Um, the Leafs did all the little things right and, and found themselves with a 3-1 to one lead. And then all of a sudden, Seattle did all the things right and, and found themselves with a 3-3 tie. So I just don't understand why um, there's sort of an erosion of what you're doing when you're successful and, and, and the other team gets back in and then you're forced to sort of release the hounds to win the game. Yeah, I haven't quite figured it out either. It's one of those things where 
the goaltending has been such that it hasn't been strong enough that maybe you're playing a little bit more back and not allowing for these two-on-one opportunities, although we did see a couple that Seattle took advantage of the other night. Uh, even though it didn't happen against Columbus, it happened against Seattle. And and the defense, without someone like Jake Muzzin there, has, there really hasn't been that same physical element in the top four. They did acquire Ilya Labushkin, and Labushkin's been great in that 5-6 role. I think he's been one of the better defensemen over the last few games. But because he's new, they, they don't want to put too much on his plate and try him up alongside the top pair with Morgan Riley just because you, you don't want to put someone in a position that maybe they're not ready for. But... Uh, they've, they've got to do something because the goaltending has only modestly improved over the last couple of games, and that's coming from an area where it was really low and a big talking point. And so they didn't perform well enough to make you think that the goaltending issues are behind them yet, and the defensive issues are certainly there, and the opposition are, are climbing back and taking advantage of that, finding that the team is playing back and, and not – and not being as aggressive because of concerns of going back the other way with, with odd man rushes. So it's a tough one. I haven't quite put my finger on what's happening, but uh, they certainly need to, to kind of learn how to play tighter on a defensive standpoint when they've got big leads like that. Three, nothing is a lead that should not erase and not against an expansion team too, regardless of what Sheldon Keefe said the other night about how, you know, they do have weapons and they, they are dangerous and anyone can beat anybody. A three, nothing lead at that point should be fairly secure. If you're playing to your X's and O's and playing pretty tight defensively and you have sound goaltending, but the, those two things combined haven't been there. And that's been, that's been uh, what's leading to a lot of these crazy games as of late. Well, I mean, if you go back even when they were winning, I'm going to go back to a game that uh, was troublesome for me, February 10th in Calgary. Uh, they lost 5-2. Um, if you'll recall that game, and I know you will, there, there are at least three or four plays that were on uh, on the rush goals. They went yep. down the length of the ice, and that seems to be a consistent problem uh, when we go over the sample size, uh, really going back to even when they were winning in early January. There, there were a lot of rush plays, and it starts in the other end, so there's a lack of adjustment all the way down the ice, and it still bothers the team to this day. Yeah, and so I remember that trip. It happened against the Vancouver Canucks two days later as well. And I remember talking to Sheldon Keefe in Seattle on an off day about what's happening there because they were going very aggressive in that spot, firing a combined 100 shots on goal over two games, yet these scoring opportunities are just insane the other way, whether it was a breakaway, a two-on-one, as you mentioned, off the rush, all that kind of stuff on transition. So uh, at that point, he's, he said, look, it was one of those situations where the team got behind early, and they were just trying to be aggressive and not waste time in terms of getting that equalizer, then maybe they should realize there's a lot more time in the game than you think, that you don't have to be too aggressive and go too deep in the offensive zone looking for that equalizer that you expose yourself going back the other way. And so I do think they did a slightly better job of that since then. But the goaltending hasn't been there to support them, that they're almost kind of regressing in a different situation where they're getting goals, but then they're playing too far back. And then when they're playing too far back, the opposition is now just looking to put bodies in front and deep, and then they're getting tipping goals and, and some other things like we saw the other night against Columbus. So it's a tricky balance that they're trying to figure out there. 
Um, but I think it all comes down to the fact that they're just not where they are defensively, not just from uh, the six defensemen, but even all five guys on the ice. There yeah. just doesn't seem to be that synchronicity that there was earlier in the year where these leads wouldn't would normally feel secure. It's not too unlike what was happening to them in the first four games or first six or seven games when they were two, four and one, and then they managed to get themselves out of it. They've got to channel whatever that is to kind of get back. But uh, it's certainly a, a problematic trend at this point in the year when things are supposed to get tighter and you're supposed to kind of have your defensive game set now uh, as, as it gets more physical. That's another thing. The Leafs do need to get a little bit more physical. And I, I do find that teams are taking advantage of the Leafs in that regard. Okay. So, I mean, really, when we go back to that sample size, we're talking November. Uh, leading into mid-December, then the COVID shutdown. They, they, they uh, I don't know if they, if they set a record, but they had consistent low event games, uh, 2-1, mm-hmm. 3-1. I mean, this is everything you'd want. And this was what inspired a lot of people to think that maybe their, their playoff problems would be behind them because they just did everything properly. Now, nobody was having great totals, uh, but what we're seeing now is uh, the run and gun leaves. I mean, to be effective in the playoffs, we need what we saw before, the low event leaves, right? Right. Well, I mean, look, we've seen the run and gun Leafs for how many years now? <laughs> like, yeah. like before Sheldon Keith, before Mike Babcock, before they reformed what their front office is right now, which was run and gun, possibly get outshot, if not outshot, just being really aggressive. But then uh, they would get the transition. They would be the other team that would get the transition opportunities. So it's it's a little bit different now. Um, but uh, to your point they do seem to have lost that cohesion that they had in November and December before, before the Omicron shut down. And, and that, that happens. And, you know, some of that is the second line, even though John Tavares has scored the last couple of games here and got his first even strength goal in, in let's say 20 games, that was still a problem. There were still some issues there. William Nylander, didn't necessarily look like the same defensively sound guy as he's been before. He had some lapses against the Kraken the other night as well. So, you know, there there's just that cracking of the whip that the coaching staff needs to do to make sure these guys are in line again and not lose sight of their defensive responsibilities while keeping their offensive touch still alive. That's what it comes down to. David, I love your thoughts on, on Robertson. How do you think he projects in this lineup? It's an interesting one. Uh, I do think that he is better suited in the role he's in right now, which is that second line when he was up there on the fourth line. I didn't quite understand if the Leafs were just trying to showcase him and just get him some minutes. But at the same time, I mean, if you want to see what he looks like, give him more minutes in the minors. Like uh, all these scouts go to games and, and, and know what this guy is. But now you're seeing him in a, in a proper role where he can kind of exhibit some offensive flair. And I thought he was pretty good the last couple of games, not just the, the game where he scored, but even against the Kraken, I thought he was he was all right in that spot. I don't think he was the reason why that second line struggled. So uh, I think um, as he gains confidence and he learns the pace of the game, which is something he's stressed that he's trying to do here and not trying to do too much, you're going to see someone like him blossom. Uh, it's, he's got some secondary power play opportunity now, which is, I thought was also another great way of, of showcasing his offensive responsibilities. But at the same time, you know, he was subbed out when he needed to kind of bear down defensively at times to get guys like Kerfoot more shifts and whatnot. So, 
I, I think it's all right. Like the Leafs have the flexibility to to have him up. I'm just I'm not quite sure where they see him right now. If they're just trying to make sure they have guys ready in case there's injuries going forward, that that they have a taste of it, or if they really are trying to showcase him as part of a bigger deal. I, I don't know if the latter makes sense because they don't really have a lot of prospects. If they really do start to to sell sell up to to kind of go for it this year, so it's tricky. It's a moving target with someone like Nick Robertson, who's gone through a lot. Like he had an injury that kept him out three and a half months. He's suffered through injuries throughout his entire career, but he seems to be a little bit more of a mature player. And I think that's actually boding pretty well for him this year. You know, it's, it certainly leads me to the ultimate uh, sort of dilemma for the Maple Leaf hockey team is that this is a, a team that really has to get the job done. Um, but because of the salary cap restraints, it's, it's sort of um, prone to, developing players. Robertson would be one. There's a couple of guys in the blue line uh, that in another situation on another team would be more than welcome. But, but I, I just don't see this as a, a situation that, that you should be developing or working with younger players. This is roll the dice time. And it's unfortunate, but that's what the salary cap has done to them, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, there, there's it's not even just them. Other teams are doing it. And sometimes it's actually forcing them for the better because sometimes you you see the opposite happen where there aren't opportunities for the prospects and then they just don't get their feet wet. And then when they get called in a a more stressful situation, which is not even that they're not necessarily ready for it, but they're called up because of injury. And it's like an important time of the year that they, they go in and then they, they, it's too much pressure for them or it's not the right situation for them because the hole wasn't necessarily the right one that they were projected to fill. Like how many times have you seen like a top, a, a top prospect who's like an offensive minded guy get called up and play fourth line minutes. It didn't quite really make sense because that's not the same type of role. He's not playing in that spot. And, and then it, it's kind of all out of whack. So the salary cap does have, you know, some complications when it comes to, with you like getting guys up and trying to put them in the right spots or, or, or loading up on more veteran talents so that you have like a, a more depth of field of the roster. But I think it's also created some opportunity for guys that allow them to develop at a, a rate that's probably more appropriate in terms of what the younger player wants and demands, which is they need experience. So need experience to get a job, need a job to get experience kind of tricky balance there and so it's created some opportunities that way and it's certainly made a lot of people more excited about watching AHL games because they know that hey this guy's pretty good he's going to be up at the club one day soon I really want to go see that well and you know the, the CBA dictates that you know by the age of 25 which isn't old really but you know certain players have or if all players haven't played a number of NHL games by the age of 25 they become unrestricted free agents so you would have wasted your time developing this guy if he's going to walk out the door and there's nothing right. you can do about it so I, I, I guess the bottom line is my comment on the forwards is when they're totally healthy whether Robinson's in or not I like the forward unit I, I think there's a, a need and you know easy for me to say another bunting like forward would be fantastic a guy who is uh, just creative on the ice away from the puck I think they, they, they could use that. I think probably every team in the NHL could use that. I don't know where that guy is, but if they found him, that would be excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, it's almost similar to last year where their big hole is is clearly at the left wing in the second line. That's really what they yeah. need to fill right now. And, you know, they've done it by committee all season long with Alex Kerfoot taking most of the reps. Andre Kasha was going to get a look on that before he got hurt and just recently made his return against Seattle. 
uh, and then they've kind of mixed guys in and around. And now Nick Robertson is going to be that guy. But I mean, look, this is the same team that had Alex Galchenyuk in that role last year and thought that that was the solution. And then when they moved them down, it allowed them to go after a guy like Nick Foligno in that spot, who was like a little bit more of a, a two-way guy as opposed to an offensive flair left winger. So maybe their experience from last year will change their target for what they're looking for. But if they really only have one bullet in the chamber, like Kyle Dubas has said multiple times when talking to him about what their plans are for the trade deadline, which is less than two weeks away. Well then, yeah, I mean, I think defense is probably still the number one thing that they have to do because that's really only have they have space for right now. If Muzzin is projected to come back and then, I think they just really need to find that depth on D and find some more physicality in their game because that seems to be where their game kind of gets thrown the most a bit when guys are laying the body on them. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, David, time now for yes guy, no guy. Yes guy, no guy, number one. Goaltending, still a concern. Yes, guy. It's it's better. It's better over the last couple of games. But the, the goaltending needs a game of, of allowing three goals or less. And that just has not happened in a while. And that's – you can't outscore your problems, especially in the playoffs. Like, it just – it really it doesn't give you a lot of confidence that that's been solved. They are – they have been playing better and they're getting wins. So that's good. But they definitely need to to get someone's confidence back. And, and you know, Campbell kind of looked – a little bit more comfortable in that game against the Kraken. So maybe they're on their way, but it's still a yes guy for me. Okay. Supplemental yes guy, no guy. Based on what you've just said there, the Leafs should go back to Campbell as number one and abandon the tandem. No guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the tandem will ever be abandoned. I, I think even if he is the number one guy, there's still going to be the tandem element to it. Like a 66 to 70% of the starts, except of course in the playoffs, like in the playoffs tandems don't work and that won't be what they do. Like they always have to have a definitive guy and let someone kind of be in a groove while things are going until that goaltender tells you otherwise or shows you otherwise, I should say that, that they're not up for the task. So um, yeah, it is a very supplemental no guy in terms of abandoning the tandem, but uh, I, I do think Jack is still their their main guy, and you have to give him more of the starts to get his swagger back. The best Jack Campbell we've seen is when Peter Morazic was out of the picture with injury. There I don't think go. that's I don't think that's a coincidence to some degree in terms of psyche. I don't think it's intentional at, at all. Like I do think they get along and, and they're really great teammates with, with each other. But there's a psychological element with goaltenders when they know they're the guy that they they thrive under that pressure. And if they don't feel like they're the guy, maybe they start questioning themselves. So it, it is a very supplemental no guy. But I do think that um, Jack Campbell should get um, more of the starts than less. Yes, guy, no guy. Team defense is still a problem. Oh, 100% yes, guy. There, there really is no no doubt about it. And, and the reason why you, you're hearing a lot of Jake Muzzin talk and why now he might come back within a month and why they may not use that LTI space or whatever is because of how important he is. And I don't think they want to run the risk of having a not-ready Jake Muzzin in time for the playoffs. And they want to have, have, have him have some games here and, and activate him beforehand and hope that he's healthy and and the Jake Muzzin of old. So the Jake Muzzin of old previous to this year 
is a much better team defensively. And even this year, even before he got hurt, he just didn't seem the same. And so the hope is that he comes back and he becomes the Jake Muzzin of old because outside of him, the defense has a lot of problems on it. It's it's a very strong yes guy. Okay, based on what you said there, yes guy, no guy, the Leafs must make a significant trade by the deadline. Ooh. I guess, well, I mean, it, it all depends on your definition of significant. Like what I think might be significant to them is maybe not significant to, to you or whatever. So I, I would say yes, guy. But for me, significant is you're adding a roster player that's going to be beyond the bottom pair of the D or beyond the to, yeah. our top six forward. Like you need well, someone who's like a bona fide top six or bona fide top four D in order for that to be significant for me. So I do think that's going to be a yes guy. I think they have room for one of those. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, I put sort of Jake Muzzin in this uh, question mark category because he said two concussions in a month. So if you're going to pin your hopes on him being totally healthy, I think that's a little precarious. So to me, you have to have a top four defenseman come in and just in, just to add to what you have. And in case Muzzin can't go, otherwise you're absolutely smoked. Yeah, they, they, I mean, look, Jake Muzzin before these injuries here looked like he was starting to kind of regress a little bit in his game, just based on the underlying numbers since he arrived in 2019. He's still a good player, but it looked like there were issues there. And you could see it whenever him and Hall were together and, and the giveaways and being on the ice for a lot of goals against it, just it, it didn't look pretty, but he provides a physical element and can you know, still move the puck and all those things, especially the physical element that the Leafs are really lacking in that regard. And, you know, Ilya Labushkin's a great ad for that and certainly adds some depth, but they could yep. use some more and someone who plays in a top four role for sure. Yes, guy, no guy. Austin Matthews is assuming the mantle as the best in the NHL. Yes, guy, for now. Uh, like, yep. Look, I still think if you if you put a gun to my head, who's the best player in the NHL, I would probably still say Connor McDavid um, over like just because of the body of work, like how right. consistent he's been and everything like that. But it, the conversation is, is definitely a lot more debatable in my mind than it's been. So for that reason, I think it's a yes guy. And Austin Matthews is definitely on track to, to become that world beater that, that he's been projected to be not just a goal scorer, but a guy who plays and dominates in all aspects of the game. So it's definitely a yes guy. It's getting there. I still think that there's a strong argument to be made that Connor McDavid is still the best player in the NHL, but this season it's hard to argue against Austin Matthews for sure. If he could do something in the playoffs that would change the narrative quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Final yes guy, no guy, Michael Bunting, the off season deal of the year. Overall for the league or just yeah. the team? Well, I think for the league. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, guy. I mean, certainly when you look when you look at his production, his numbers, and you divide it by how much they're spending, that's a that's a salary that's easily variable if it doesn't work out, unlike Nick Ritchie's, where like that was actually a problem on their books when he was underperforming. So so yeah, I, I do think that that's been one of the steals and he might win the Calder still, which is a funny thing to kind of talk about because of the points that he's been putting up and the randomness of how he qualifies as a rookie. So uh, I, I do think 100% that, that that's probably the deal of the year. I, I, I probably, 
I'm sure someone out there who covers the league wide as a whole will probably manage to fish out something that's comparable. But to me, I haven't seen it. Stephanie, yes, guy for bunting. I think if you go back to what Zach Hyman brought to the table and his fit on that line, and then you watch bunting um, in his own way, it's not a, it's not a replica thing, but in his own way has found the chemistry uh, in terms of doing stuff away from the puck, but also with the puck to fit in with those those two top end players. I think nothing short of remarkable, really. It has, and what's really been interesting in Bunting's case is he took that spot and he hadn't let it go. Like, he was right. moved around, and then he, he he moved up to that first line. I want to say it was in the end of November. I really can't remember. I'll have to go back to my lines. But um, he, he, he assumed that spot after a lot of experimentation, and then... Uh, has not let it go. He's got a firm grasp on it. And it's one of those things where, unlike bunting with Hyman, you know, the Leafs felt comfortable in trying someone else in that spot and moving Hyman to the third line because they loved his shutdown abilities. And it's one of those things where bunting has become so valuable to that top line from a production standpoint that they don't even want to mess with it. They don't even want to try and even think about ever removing bunting in that spot. Like it's been, it's worked out so marvelously that um, it's really accounted for covering up a lot of the Leafs' uh, weaknesses at this point. David, thanks very much, and allow me to say goodbye to everybody else. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed episode twenty-two of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode twenty-three.